At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Monday night edition of the pod, we got to get to Luka Doncic, who we've been hearing so much about. Finally got a chance to really dive into the film on him and then we'll also talk about the memphis grizzlies which uh, amazingly at four might potentially be a landing spot for Doncic. so i the place that you have to start with him is just the absolutely unprecedented production for his age and really at any level i mean for an 18 year old the way that he just played there's never been any european player who's played this well as an 18 year old and remember the euro league the acb that's a level like well beyond college basketball he was mvp of the final four mvp of the euro league this season and probably that was deserved kevin pelden noting that he was second in terms of value in the euro league this season based on his statistics so I mean, you really would have to go to only a few high schoolers who were in the NBA, you know, a LeBron James, those type of players. Remember, Donja just turned 19. He's pretty young as well. That have provided this level of production and this type of contribution to winning basketball uh, at his age. I want to add in one other piece of information with that, which is his success on the Slovenian national yeah. team in Eurobasket 2017, because that is competing, you know, not against full teams of NBA talent, but there are NBA players that competed in that tournament, including Kristaps Porzingis. A lot of the Spain guys were there and Slovenia went undefeated in the kind of pool play type thing. And then they won the actual championship and the team was built around Goran Dragic and Luka Doncic in a really interesting backcourt. I actually watched, I went back and watched some of the footage of that yesterday to kind of get a sense of how he would fit with another guy like Dragic. Now, while the EuroLeague, while the ACB League, while Eurobasket is certainly a higher level of competition than NCAA, it is important to note that basically he was never guarded by an NBA quality wing defender, a 6'6 guy with length with athleticism i mean if you watch the film of him he very often was being guarded by the opposing team's point guard he very often was playing in a point guard type of role but did not really have to face off against like true nba quality length and when he did he struggled to some degree especially in his isolations you know he's not an elite athlete by any means but still i mean just this level of production is extremely hard to ignore and I wasn't sure how much I was going to like him coming in. I thought that I might be kind of have a little bit of a conflict between what my eyes would see and then just the reality of the production that he's put up in a very high level league considering his age and that I might have to try to resolve that conflict. But ultimately, what I saw in film was good enough that I'm not really that much of a doubter. How do you feel? I think it depends on how you're defining terms. 
I, I have confidence that he is an NBA player. I do not have confidence that he is like an NBA superstar. And that is a real rarefied air. So how you define those terms, you know, like it, as the number one pick, a lot of people would say, you know, if he's in the conversation there that you need somebody who can, you know, realistically be an all NBA type guy. And I think that might be a little bit much for him, but I could, I, I think he has a high floor and I think that he has a, a relatively high ceiling. My big question with Doncic is the ability to, create separation at the next level there are players especially with his size this is very different from like a six foot one guy who can't create separation because Doncic is like six eight and it's also weird that like I don't think we've ever I have never seen a wingspan measurement for him he's been in the mix for such a long time but he's already been on teams so they don't really do like you know like Kentucky does that like media day yeah. type thing where they measure I looked dudes. for it I couldn't Real find Madrid anything. does not yeah. do that yeah it's super weird and he's still playing so he wasn't at the combine and so my my read on him is kind of the what if the main thing doesn't work and i still think he's a valuable nba player there i think kind of the the comparison i've had trouble thinking of an analog for what the non non peak luka doncic is but it's kind of like a better version of evan fournier is about where i was where it's like he can't necessarily run an offense but he can help an offense work better makes good decisions and i think doncic is way better than what i you know than well, his ceiling is way higher than fournier but the thing that i really like about doncic this was actually the first note i ever made on him and then I kept on coming back to it, is that he plays like he gives a shit. And that is a very, very good thing, especially for a guy as young as he is. And that comes in especially on offense and transition he if he he goes in for rebounds he actually tries for rebounds he can push the pace he can grab and go and he makes good decisions if he doesn't have the ball he still makes his way down the floor can either spot up at the three-point line or go into the basket depending on what the situation presents itself and that is a a massive positive for a guy who isn't the best athlete to be intelligent as he is and to have a good motor and he does that too yeah, I don't know how good his motor is defensively, but yeah, the defensive re- yeah, that's the, true. The defensive rebound rate is, is impressive. Twenty percent defensive rebounds is pretty good to be sure, and that certainly helps him as a grab and go guy. All right, we we got a ton more detail to get into. Uh, I'm going to talk about why I, I actually seem to be higher on him than you. We it's been interesting. We haven't discussed these prospects at all before we start doing. It. I think that actually makes for more interesting radio. Uh, but first, I want to discuss movement watches you've heard me talk about them all the time actually my fiance came to me the other day and was like had a chilling confession that she'd actually lost her movement watch that i got her and so now she is really missing it and wants to get another one immediately so that was uh that was a tough admission for her (laughs) i guess but uh they really are uh, fantastically stylish watches go to movement.com mvmt.com slash cap space that would be what i'd encourage you to do and just look at all their styles they've actually now doubled the number of styles that they have they've also expanded to sunglasses and also bracelets for women they've come a long way from being just a couple of crowdfunded kids working out of a living room they've sold almost two million watches down 160 countries which means if you're an international listener a lot of our products is tough for you to support the pod but uh, they certainly will ship pretty much anywhere at this point my favorite is their 40 series i like a little bit smaller of a watch but generally just the styled minimalism that they have again just go to that movement.com slash cap space url a you get 15 percent off but b you just scroll through there and see if there's anything that you like uh graduation time right now father's day right about now and movement watches 
come in at the perfect price point for a gift you know it's not a 400 or 500 dollars watch even though they look like them they start at just 95 dollars. remember you're getting that 15 percent off with free shipping as well if you use that slash cap space url so once again the way to get started with them movement.com mvmt.com slash cap space easy to remember slash cap space we talk about all the time here on the program and let them know what that slash cap space url that you came from us so let me talk about why i was so impressed with them given his athletic limitations which generally when a ball handler has this type of athletic limitations that's a, a red flag he's six eight which really helps a lot and 230 as you mentioned probably has like an average wingspan the height is so important for him this is something we've been talking about with some of these other prospects that especially now with that pass to the weak side for a three-point shot becoming so important out of pick and roll he's got the height to throw that you know in contrast to maybe trey young who's got to loop that up he can throw that pass from a higher release point over the defense on a line get it there quickly without it getting deflected that is huge he is just a beautiful pick and roll operator and really at this age right up there with he might even be the most skilled 6'8 guy at this age that i've ever seen whether it's his step back jumpers which he didn't shoot a crazy good percentage on but he's taking some very difficult attempts his handle for a 6'8 guy in terms of how advanced it is his ability to change speeds behind in the back between the legs crossovers get the guy in his back in pick and roll really just has tons of moves now he's vulnerable to pressure full court in terms of his handle and just his speed and he can kind of just get slowed down that way he'll have to put his back to goal sometimes as he's bringing the ball up but i mean i can't think of another six eight i mean and he's six eight you know if you'd have to go to like a kobe bryant at this age to be find a guy who i think had the type of skill level off the dribble this young that he does now he doesn't have anywhere near that kind of rise or anywhere near that kind of quickness of course but i think that that's really one of the most impressive things about him he's got post-game floaters ability to get into the lane and euro step slow down get his shot off in the lane even if he's not an amazing finisher he, he can create angles kind of slow the defense down so they can't really get a good angle to jump that's what really sticks up to me is just how skilled he is at this age and now you know that all of that stuff can use some more refinement you know especially with just the ball going in on a lot of his shots but he's able to create pretty decent decent looks at least against the quality competition that he's going against, which is, you know, the second best competition in the world. I think a good reflection of that skill level is the hook pass that he already throws at 18, now 19 years old, is really, really impressive. And it totally works with his height and the velocity on it. If he can can read the play correctly, which he usually does, it's really nice. Like it gets to the guy in the corner fast. That's something I talk about a lot with LeBron. And Doncic is not at that level of a passer, but he's very, very good. And so he can see the guy open and he can get the ball there quickly. And we talked about this with Trey Young a couple days ago, that he has to throw a looping pass because those are the angles that are available to him. Doncic does not have those limitations. And I think the the big question that I want to ask you because it seems like you are higher on him as you as you mentioned before one of the big determining factors for Doncic whether or not he is you know a high end offensive player will depend on his jump shot both on catch and shoot and off the dribble he relied a lot on the step back a lot of his isolations end in step backs and they went in you know a reasonable proportion of the time Doncic ended you know the last two years he's been about 80 percent free throw shooter low 30s on threes in league play so it's obviously further back at the NBA line 
how do you see how do you see that moving forward? Do you think that time and experience and refinement will will Im- improve that more than moving back will affect it? Well, he's not that far back. Remember, he's at the twenty two foot international line, and he also right. is very comfortable taking threes that are deeper than right at the line, and even step backs that that are beyond the international three point line. And again, you know, let's remember he just turned nineteen here, nineteen ninety nine, February of nineteen ninety nine, his birthday. So so to be able to shoot as well as he can on as difficult of attempts at this age very very impressive now you know there is kind of a volume-esque feel to him you know do you see him being a 40 percent three-point shooter off the drill you know maybe not you know he's not like that 85 percent 90 percent free throw shooter that you might see expect that from again very difficult attempts but as a spot-up guy you know he's actually no no better really as a spot-up guy no better really in relatively low number of attempts even on wide open spot ups than he is uh, on these tough off the dribble attempts i expect him to get better but you know you could see him being 36 37 percent ultimately you know i don't he doesn't quite strike me as like that 40 percent type of player but i mean to shoot 36 37 percent on this type of attempts and it's just it's tough to know too because i mean given the level that he's playing at and the way that he plays you almost like want to you just forget how young he is and you just start translating exactly what he is now into the nba you know because he looks so fully formed and is so skilled already and that's one of the big questions is like well does the fact that he has this skill level already and he's not that athletic does that mean that he's closer to his ceiling than other players or do you just say hey you know what he's already doing this at 18 like the sky could absolutely be the limit for for this guy you know i'm not sure which way to go but generally i mean young guys <laughs> tend to be uh tend to improve to end up your production at a young age usually ends up translating and improving over the years so i don't i don't know the answer to that question but i mean his form looks good he's just very comfortable he's very skilled the question i have for you is do you believe that he can improve his athleticism you know he doesn't have european teams are not renowned for their training He's going to be spending a lot of time, you know, playing in the summers with his national team, which may not help him very much in terms of really working on his body, working on his game in the offseason. He doesn't really have like much definition now. Can he cut up? Can he get a little bit more athletic? I think that would help him so much if he could get there. It's just, you know, that's really tough to say. But I do think that like pro training could help him some. I do think I think he can as well. It's actually something John Gavoni yeah. brought and up. I shouldn't say pro, by the way. Radio. Obviously, he's a pro. I should say NBA. Yeah, NBA training camp, and he's also playing a ton of games right now because of the combination of Real Madrid stuff plus the Slovenia work. Like he's playing in a lot of games. This is not college guys going twice a week and everything and balancing schoolwork and everything. I think I think that he will be used to the workload, and so maybe then you can spend a little bit more time in the gym and yeah. getting used to. It. I think stamina is another thing that could he's played that could help him. Games. It's it's crazy, for real but like Madrid. so if you if he can give you know if he can give max effort over fewer minutes a game, I think I think that could be interesting with him. I do think a little bit more burst, I could see that being there, and also just kind of that you talked about his handle, like fluidity, speed with the ball, just getting more comfortable making reads on the fly and everything like that. He's not, he's good at those things for a player his age to be sure, but the NBA ratchets that up because of the perimeter athleticism, the windows for passes, the windows for 
getting by a guy are much smaller than they are at at international levels, even as good as the ACB is. So I think that he has the capacity to get better. It might take more time than it would for some other guys just because he doesn't really get those summers off. And I mean, maybe he ends up on a team that's bad enough where the, he gets April and May off and that can really help, but, or May, June, whatever. But I, I do think that he has some capacity there. And another thing I brought up, I wanted to bring up with the jump shot is that I like his mechanics when he is more in the catch and shoot role. So synergy, you know, 1.1 points per possession on spot ups, 1.3 off screens, though that's only 50 possessions, which is not very much. And when I watch him in those circumstances, it's like, okay, this is a guy who knows what he's doing. I don't think he's going to be that necessarily, you know, like a knockdown type guy, but that he, that you have to guard him. And if you have to guard him slash close out, then you're creating opportunities when he's off the ball because he can attack those closeouts incredibly well. I mean, if, if his role is more being a secondary creator, I think that he has the skill set for that right away. It's different than, and it's, he's so much more developed than like Frank Nokina, where I had this idea of like, if he can't be a point guard, what is the value that he's going to provide? And the difference between those guys on defense is night and day. We'll talk about that. But I like what he can be, even if the best case scenario offensively, even if the best case scenario doesn't work out because of those skill sets and also because of his height. And so a question that I've been grappling with with Doncic for a long time now is how big of a priority is he going to be for the opposing defense? And a lot of this will be surrounding talent as well. But like, let's say he gets drafted by the Suns or he gets drafted, you know, you could go through any team. Is Doncic a good enough offensive player where he's going to get the other team's best defender? And if he is, I think Doncic, there will be some real challenges for him there just because the athleticism, the wingspan, the length, everything, everything can be a big problem. But that brings a lot of other positives for the remainder of his teammates, because if that player has to be on Doncic, then that player is not on anyone else. Well, I think draft, drafting him in the range that we're talking about, the hope is that that he could be a number one guy. And to me, a lot, I'm going to talk a little bit about how I would want to use him, which you started to touch on there. I would just play him as the point guard. I think that's the best way to get the most out of him. And then he's going to be a defensive liability. But if you're playing him with a regular point guard, and now you also have to play him at the two or the three, that's probably going to be a, a rough defensive perimeter rotation, right? So if you play him at the one, yeah, you know, he might struggle a little bit against pressure, but my hope is that he'll be big enough to take advantage of guys like that in the post. He's already showing a nice post game so that teams would end up putting more length on him. And then, you know, you can put much like with Ben Simmons. I mean, he's not the defensive player that Simmons is. You know, I'm not expecting him to be this great switch guy, but at least you can get just a normal two and a normal three on the floor next to him and just get more overall size and length on the floor because he's that good of a ball handler and he'll push the ball in transition. He could stand to do even more of that, I think, really running it down the other team's throat but that's the way i would play him uh because then you know i mean i guess he would have to play the two and now you have to get a wing next to him and a point guard and, and you know he's best with the ball and says i think he can play off ball but that's what i would like to do if you can get the personnel around him now yeah go ahead well and the nice thing about using Doncic there is that there are a bunch of six foot four six foot five guys that are capable with the ball in their hands but you don't necessarily want them to be the number one option 
like I was thinking about I mean, I think Donovan Mitchell will eventually be much better than this, but like they're Donovan Mitchell, if Victor Oladipo before this past season, maybe even Devin Booker. I need to watch a little bit more of Devin Booker with the ball in his hands to see where I want him there. Talked about that a little bit yesterday, but there are guys like that. And so then you're a little bit on the small side to switch, but I think they could make that work and getting that complimentary piece or even, you know, I, I think that I think that you can make that work. And I agree with you that if you're looking for a high ceiling team, the best way to use Doncic is as the primary ball handler because then it opens up these other niches for other players. And I think that you can be flexible enough with him that maybe you have a, a capable point guard who comes off the bench, like maybe a Fred Van Vliet type. And so those two guys can change it over. They can go through different circumstances. So you you don't necessarily play him at the one all the time, but you play him at the one a lot. Now, I think that the biggest concern for him for me is his ability to beat switches, you know, but that's a a big concern for 98% of the NBA, basically. And if you are forced to play conventional pick and roll defense against him, I mean, I think he's going to carve that up. I'm not that worried about the idea of like oh we're putting so much length on this guy because he could just use a screen to to get that off him right i mean like steve nash wasn't some incredibly quick guy but he could just use a screen he knows how to set up a screen he's got a good enough handle to do that and then he can get the guy off him a little bit and he's going downhill and you have to react to him so that i think is uh i'm not that worried about that now if you can switch those screens what's the antidote to that well maybe that antidote for him would be I'm 6'8", 230, so if you're switching everything, we're going to go find the smallest guy on the other team, get him involved, and now I can back down into the post. And his post game was you know, not amazing statistically. He was 44 points on 52 possessions, so under a point per possession, but most post-ups are, are going to be like that. Uh, he's got pretty decent power game. He likes whichever block he's on, he usually likes to spin baseline. Uh, he's got like over his left shoulder, he's got a little like half hook floater type of play. Uh, he's also got fadeaway jumpers over either shoulder if he wants to go there or I even saw him go to like a Dirk step back so his skill level is going to be good enough I expect him to be a solid player in the post you know assuming that teams want to go to that when he has a smaller player on him uh I I think that could be pretty effective um get get into a few yeah go ahead oh something other one I wanted to bring up so I, when I watched him, I thought Doncic was better when he, when he had a, a size mismatch. I thought that he was better attacking bigs than smaller guys. Well, fa- facing the basket. Because he could use his step facing the basket, yes. And so it, it'll be interesting if you use him as a primary ball handler, who you want to get in the actions with him. And NBA bigs are different, you know. As as much as I enjoyed watching him play with Gustavo Ayon, there will not be many bigs like Gustavo Ayon that he will face in the yeah. NBA. And actually, his situation anymore. overall at Real Madrid, they played him a little bit at the four. I don't think you'll be able to do that in the NBA. He can rebound, but he's just, you know, unless you really have a lot more length and then that guy probably would technically be the uh on the wing you know any he would be kind of further down in the spectrum compared to just most modern nba wings you know a trevor ariza type you would think of trevor ariza as uh, as playing the four rather than him you know he, he he can rebound so i think he can help out in small ball lineups there but in terms of protecting the rim in terms of being able to defend in the post you know it, that's not really going to work <laughs> for for him at all his block rate was pathetically bad uh for a six eight guy four percent block rate um but it, with yeah right right so so what i was getting at with that was the idea so let's say a team an opponent puts their shooting guard on Doncic and you run a then will be a 2-5 pick and roll I think you could create mismatches both ways which I think would be interesting so you know the old the old thing of you know the Nurkic 
Jokic idea of attacking the mismatch right away. But then Doncic, I think, could could dance around a little bit on the perimeter and get that guy un- uneasy. And that's something that I'm really looking for is kind of the next stage of, of, of attacking pick-and-roll switches is where you can go in either spot. And that makes it harder to, to necessarily game plan for it. So I, I, I'm intrigued by some of the tactical elements of using him because the difference between Doncic and Ben Simmons at that facet is that Doncic is both a competent and a confident shooter. And so the way he attacks is very different from the way Simmons attacks or the way LeBron attacks because LeBron is so much more of a physical force. I would love to see him in transition have even more of a quick trigger from deep uh, because I think he has that shot in his arsenal uh, to, to really like force guys to get out on the floor and defend him. Um, and in transition, usually would go right to the basket in those situation, uh, 84th percentile in transition, which is pretty good when you're the ball handler most of the time. Uh, 94 of his possessions were as the ball handler. He, he definitely doesn't really run the floor very well when he doesn't have the ball because he's kind of just going back to get it. Uh, but only one possession per game. That's not amazing. Um, and as mentioned, you know, that 20.6% defensive rebounding does help him be a, a grab and go guy. And we talked about in the NBA, how when he's the, when you're the transition ball handler, usually you're the one who gets all the turnovers in transition, which means that your points possession is usually going to be lower. You know, that to be 84th percentile when you are the ball handler all the time is pretty good. Usually if you're the ball handler, you're going to have an ugly point per possession. And then the guys that you throw, throw it to on passes are going to, you know, they're just finishing the play, so it looks a lot better for them in terms of their statistics. A few other stats I really wanted to get to, you know, we mentioned the 70 games. 59.5% true shooting. That's outstanding work considering the 27% usage, considering the age. Uh, 4.6 assists per game. Remember, they are stingier with assists in European scoring, and that's in only 25 minutes per game as well. 79% from the line, you said he's around 80% from his career. And then only 31% from three. This year takes about 50% of his shots from downtown. Now, this is something that Gavoni and Pelton discussed extensively in a Q&A about him, which I recommend you read. He had almost a 50% free throw rate, which is awesome. That's like among the best guys in the NBA. Now, the suggestion was made by Gavoni that talking to a lot of his European contacts that he gets like a ton of superstar calls, James Harden type of calls. KP noted that you generally see a 30% reduction in foul rate when you translate stats from the EuroLeague to the U.S. And one thing I was reminded of watching the EuroLeague Final Four is in Europe, so many touch fouls are called on the perimeter especially because teams are always in the bonus so early those can result in free throws and when he has the ball in his hands all the time uh and then also worth noting he got fouled 173 times leading to free throws so that's about 340 free throws this year 55 out of those 173 are fouls that are kind of like not really earned fouls right so 39 of those were just characterized as no play type meaning it was some kind of a loose ball foul or just some kind of foul touch foul out in the perimeter really before anything happened in the play you know it's not like he's really blowing by the guy and he had no choice to follow him. and then he also got fouled on 16 euro fouls in transition so basically take away 110 free throws that aren't really earned in any particular way now any player is going to have a a reasonable number of those but compared to europe and even the ncaa basketball also it's just harder to get fouls in the nba and so that crazy free throw rate i don't know how much of that translates because you know i i think he's going to get better at just kind of drawing fouls you know there weren't a lot of those like call seeking behavior drawn fouls 
a lot of transition you know getting to the rim he he could get foul calls when he was pushing it but again you know against nba athleticism they may not need to follow him in that situation there weren't that many fouls where he's just like really getting the advantage blowing by the guy and like creating the contact it, kind of the way we would think about for nba fouls or where he's just you know using his smarts to get fouled so i, I think that is a legitimate concern that he's not going to be able to get to the foul line as much and if he can't now especially with that three-point shooting you start to wonder like all right now he's got to get up to 36 37 from three or he's going to struggle to be efficient and you touched on something just now which i think is is important to note with Doncic that he doesn't really shake guys his own size very often his best kind of like ankle breakers are almost all against six foot ten and taller guys yeah. and that's a very different challenge than trying to shake a six foot seven dude or even you know like a point guard because they've seen all that stuff before and Again, that's creating, there are different ways to create separation. You can do it through size, you can do it through speed, you can do it through moves like Kyrie does. But that is a concern because if he'll have to get a lot better there because even if it's just a, a tool in his toolbox and not like the centerpiece of his offensive value, it's still important. Yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, his ability to get to his step back is really impressive. And just the, the way, while he is not blowing by guys, he plays at such a nice pace that He's always got a little bit more in the tank to go a little bit faster than he is going. And in terms of changing speeds, also changing direction, you know, he's got just a really nice between the leg dribble. He can use his body, use his shoulder to create space for the jump shot. Just he is very cognizant of being able to just get a guy going one way and then cross over maybe even multiple times, just using someone's momentum against them. You know, I've even seen him make plays where he'll drive all the way to the free throw line, be covered, and then take two dribbles back all the way to the three-point line and take a three uh, on basically like a double step back, dribbling backwards. You know, that's not a move that you see very often. He's He's got a lot of really nice moves, which... You know, he's going to need those, obviously, to, to create the separation. But especially if he can get just a little, like, tighten those up just a little bit more. The creativity is there. And then to also get just a little bit more athletic. And I think I think he'll be able to get by. Uh, now, is he getting to the rim, you know, in isolation? No, not really. I mean, here's some, some more stats on that. 0.79 points per possession. That's only 44th percentile. You know, so that's a little bit below average. We noted that he's very reliant on the step back and so uh, some stats in that he'll go in an iso a third of the time he goes left third of the time he goes right now either of those could still result in the step back and then a third of the time he basically takes the jumper without really trying to drive at all so on 93 isos up top he got to the rim only 17 times and then six more of those were runners so he's really only getting penetration you know about 20 percent of the time on his drives a little bit more than that so let's say to compare that to james harden another guy who you know is not the absolute quickest guy certainly quicker than Doncic. uh doesn't quite have the height of Doncic, but I, I think it's an interesting comparison to him as a guy who has the ball in his hands likes to change speeds a lot more kind of reliant on craft although you know his physicality and strength is well beyond Doncic as well uh for harden i mentioned with Doncic, you know about a little over 20 percent of the time he's driving for top isos for james harden who had 434 top isos this year 191 of those times so yeah, that's more like 40 percent of the time he's either driving or taking a floater so that's a a big difference between what Doncic is doing and you know certainly it'll be easier for him to drive with nba spacing if he's on the right team you know he's playing with two bigs a lot of the time at real madrid when he wasn't playing the four um so yeah i, I mean i think i'd be very interested to see 
you know if when he's fully formed he's really able to create against switch defenders who are kind of you know maybe it's not against clint capella but you know if he's against a, a you know a steven adams type of center switched out on him you know is he going to be able to create a good look against kind of you know your slightly above average foot speed starting center that type of player i'd be very interested to see that and then you know if he does get penetration can he finish at the rim that's another thing we can talk about too yeah well we, we might as well go there now he was about 60 percent at the rim this year and what i like about Doncic is that he i i don't necessarily love his touch with either hand but he's capable with both hands and a lot of young guards can't do that and yeah i, I mentioned this briefly his, that he he get shots that actually like look pretty good but sometimes they just don't go in you know i think he just hasn't quite refined his touch but he's able to get the shot off in a way that makes you think all right if he just improves his touch a little bit this will go in yeah i i have some confidence there and i also like that he generally has an idea of where he wants to go with it when he gets to the room you know like dude does he want to do like a lefty off the glass which ways you want to go and some guys have real trouble with that like they you know it's kind of like they're playing a fighting game and they're picking the wrong fighting move each time because they just haven't gotten used to it and i think that will bode well for where Doncic becomes in the future because i think he has good judgment in those circumstances from what i've seen so far though the quality of the contest and the athleticism is going to spike significantly for him even over what he saw both in the euro league and in the uh euro basket last year yeah he talk a little bit more about his finishing at the rim you know not really going to turn it over for a dunk he had a couple of dunks this season but you know it was kind of just he had a path he's not going to go over anybody's contest for a dunk generally not really much of a two-foot jumper either you know like shooting off a of one much more he'll miss some bunnies off a of two foot a, a lot of times especially he never really shoot he'll shoot with his left hand when he's driving to the rim off a of one foot sometimes uh still could definitely stand to improve that and then when he's off a of two feet uh, under the rim going for like a two foot power move never shoots it with his left hand which and he'll miss a lot with his right he could definitely stand to shoot with his left more in those situations the craft is nice uh he's got that one hand nash layup with one or two feet you know we've seen donovan mitchell do that too he's there are, i saw a couple of attempts for him on kind of donovan mitchell last two foot finishes where he really got good extension for a scoop shot uh the other thing that i like is because he's so under control that he's able to kind of slow down joe ingles style who and joe ingles is actually a surprisingly solid finisher despite his complete lack of a right hand to let the defense fly by or just slow down enough that you know the guy can't really load up and jump he's got to if you're trying to time him and you quick jump you know he can slow it down and let you fly by and so if you have to kind of wait him out as he slows down as a big you're not going to be able to jump nearly as high that way I mean, he definitely had some times where some of the more athletic shot blockers could make him look really bad you know coming over from the weak side and just erasing him but I thought overall his skill level looked pretty good I mean he's not as athletic as Gordon Hayward but I think some of his finishes kind of reminded of, of Gordon Hayward a little bit too, just the, that very slow Euro step type of plays, pump fakes. He also will, uh, as he's going to the rim, use a pass fake to freeze the defense so he can get his shot off. That'll work pretty well. Not really a threat to go get an alley-oop though. Uh, you know, the way someone like Hayward is, he's significantly less athletic than where Gordon Hayward is at, at this point in time and even a, as a college player. So, you know, if, if you're going to send him back door on alley-oops, like that's probably not going to work, you know, unless he, again, significantly improves his athleticism. But I think I think he could be good enough as a finisher, again, because he just, he shows so much creativity in all parts of his game that you have, or I don't know if you have, but I have faith that 
he can figure it out even against more athletic players ultimately. I do have faith that he can do that. And remember, not only is he playing against men, but he's playing against seasoned professionals. They have limitations often in terms of athleticism, but think the craft in terms of finishing in in college and finishing in the ACB are two very different things. And I've been very impressed with the way that he keeps on adding and keeps on getting better. And like when I, I, I would notice differences with him when I was, you know, even within it, you could be like, okay, look, this, this is a little bit different moving on. And I, I, you know, watching the EuroLeague final four, I, I saw more from him in some of those areas than I like where I wanted to go next is, is him as a passer. And I don't think Doncic has the, this like elite court vision compared to the truly elite. Like I said, he's not a LeBron level passer for me or Ben Simmons level passer, even though he has better height than point guards. But what I do love about Doncic, and this is overall in his game too, is that he has a really intriguing feel for the game. So like one of my favorite passes that he throws is something that you almost never see in the NBA, where he throws these kind of timing passes on the baseline to a big man, where he kind of knows when the big man's going to get to his spot. And he throws a pass there. It's very hard to steal. Sometimes it could get knocked away and become an, an inbound. And you can only really do that if you have a really good sense for where all the little chess pieces are moving. And those sorts of plays, some of the passes he throws in transition, they're more kind of like basketball IQ feel plays than court vision plays. But that's a really good sign. Yeah, and at his size, you know, maybe it's not quite Ben Simmons. Maybe it's not quite LeBron, but it's not that far below that, I don't think. And to the extent that, you know, maybe he just, you know, isn't able to attack the defense with the same type of speed to draw help and open up those windows. But it's pretty rare that I'd see him miss a pass. I mean, and I remember I wa- one of the games I watched was uh, when they played at Basconia and won. He was doing nothing on the defensive end that whole time. But then basically pick and roll every single time, just diming guys up there, running a lot of Spain pick and rolls, like finding shooters on the weak side, finding the roll man. It, it really was just just carving them up every single time. It really looked awesome. Basconia was the second best team in the ACB this year. It, so it's, especially considering his age, it's really impressive where he's at it. And I think, you know, he does a good job of picking up his dribble at the right time any kind of miscommunication in the defense as far as like are they going to switch or are they going to bring the the big up to the level of the ball he's able to find like very creative passing angles to get the role guy slipping to the rim or guys leaning that's one that i really like with him where like a a player is trying to figure out where he wants to go and he has a three-point shooter and he just hits them before the guy makes a decision and that's such a key pass in the nba harden lebron those are the two guys who will throw those pass uh in the nba as well what do you think the chances are he can be a 20 point a game score i think that's higher you know it's higher than 50 it would be above a 50 percent outcome for me with him so maybe like like maybe like a 30 percent something like that but i could see him being a high usage guy that it doesn't always convert into his own shot yeah i I definitely think that he has some bust potential. And we've seen this with a lot of European guys, knowing with the level of production at his age that we've seen, and also not with the shooting that we've seen, right? I mean, a lot of these guys who are kind of 6'6", point guard types in Europe. I mean, there, there are a few of those, but they're not the type of shooter that Doncic. You know, I think that's one of the biggest differences. You know, your Sadoranskis, your Zoran Planinich, even uh, Papa Lucas, who I would have been absolutely fascinated to see what he looked like in the NBA. But, you know, Papa Lucas wasn't really much of a shooter 
and so Doncic has the pick and roll ability that those guys do maybe even better in some cases but he also has that jump shot off the dribble that those guys didn't have it so I think that's a big reason why he can succeed and then you know I, th- I think the the potential that he has working off the ball you know you mentioned those great numbers coming off a screen 65 points on 50 possessions uh, I think he can get there he's got to tighten up his footwork off the ball work on his spot up shooting to some degree when I say he has bust potential though once you get to the point where you're not having the ball in his hands then his defensive limitations become a problem and if he's just going to play at the two or the three you know he's not going to be able to really guard his position particularly well and it becomes kind of difficult to say you know if we're not going to give him the ball every time all right you know we got this guy who's like a spot-up shooter and he can drive and a close out and make decisions and be a secondary pick and roll handler but you know i thought the evan fournier comparison was an interesting one as far as and fournier is probably more athletic than donchich's donchich has a bigger stronger body a little taller but i thought that was interesting as kind of a lower end outcome for him should we talk about his defense a little bit more i fear we must well so i i think that and you you might remember this or know it better than I do, what was hard for me to reconcile was how much of his kind of apathy slash standing around was the scheme. Not necessarily the scheme saying stand around and don't try, but the scheme basically saying just keep this guy in a certain area and however you do it, it doesn't really matter. And how much of it was him just not not really applying himself. And so I think he can get better, but I don't think that it would surprise me if he got to like good. You know, I think it could be average, but good or above average would be tough. And you only had to defend 18 isolations this year, gave up 14 points on those. Not really enough stats to draw any conclusions. But European teams don't usually play that way of going for isolations. And he's going to get cooked when teams hunt him. And we're seeing that becoming, of course, more and more of an issue. And both for that reason and then also some of the issues of, of him beating switches, you know, I could see him being another one of these guys who's much more effective against the teams in the NBA that can't really switch, you know, when he's playing pick and roll defense. And then also you could see him maybe as teams are going to play him. I know we're getting away from the defense here. This occurred to me. He could be one of these guys too, where you say, okay, we're going to just play this guy conventional pick and roll defense. I don't think he's a good enough finisher to finish it through. We're just going to play it two on two. We're going to go over the screen, force him to drive. He does have a good floater game. That's something that uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about too much, but he's a solid shooting on floaters, especially when he gets the guy behind him in in pick and roll. Or uh, So I I think that's a shot that he's really going to need because he's just, he's not going to just go into NBA big men generally and finish against verticality. You know, a lot of it's going to have to be trying to just get the guy off balance a little bit with some of his zero steps and stuff but generally i think you know especially against the best big man defenders and if he doesn't have a great role guy that he could be vulnerable to playing this the pick and roll two on two or of course just getting switched against some of the best switch teams uh and then getting cooked defensively you know i mentioned the 0.4 blocks per game steals you know a little anticipation but he's not like some great steals guy you don't see him step in and like take charges he is you know i didn't see him just making like mental errors that much much, but just kind of standing there not you know spending 95 percent of the possession not in a stance not getting through screens either on or off ball they generally hit him on on whoever they could get away with and that works a lot better in europe so i'm uh very skeptical you know he's not gonna be able to protect the rim at all had some pretty hopeless give ups guarding in the post uh on switches i would be hard pressed to find anything that he does well defensively other than maybe just like not have ridiculously bad errors in execution yeah and i could imagine him but of course you can 
massage this and change attack it in other ways being kind of the other guy in the system so if he's your i'm trying to think of the analogy here in this in the sixers system maybe he's their reddick defensively where he just kind of you never want him to guard the main guy but you just kind of have him try to try to avoid those isos yeah but that's really hard will to pull at least off. like and that, run though i don't see Doncic really being a doing like chasing guys around screens very well either but yeah i mean he's that's he's true. gonna he's gonna either have to do that he's not really equipped to you know crash into the lane on the backside of a pick and roll and then close out i mean his effort level is gonna have to get a lot better and then laterally too i mean he really just is not able to stay in front of guys particularly well so i mean he he's a smart player uh i think he can execute you know i mean maybe along the lines of like a, a kyle corver you know a younger corver maybe or so someone like that uh you know and he does rebound at least but he also has the potential to be one of the worst defensive players in the nba yeah like I, there are times when i was thinking about kyle anderson watching Doncic, but then i remember anderson has a pretty good wingspan for his height he has an and he has that's a ridiculous a, band it's like seven and four. so that's a, a big a massive difference between those two guys and gives anderson a greater functionality defending fours let's say but just having that because the quickness you, you know you can negate some of the quickness disadvantage with that length yeah and he's 18 for most of this year just turned 19 has a huge offensive role i mean he executed well enough to like be on the court for a high level european team you know we've seen a lot of players have not been able to do that but i definitely am concerned about where he's going to fit in defensively i you know, certainly even the chances of him getting the average like the, the effort can certainly improve the intensity can certainly improve the technique can improve like I, I expect all that to happen to some degree although you know if he goes to a bad team and he's got the ball in his hands all the time and he they don't really have any kind of accountability to you know maybe memphis will be good enough to where he get, they can have more accountability for him although you know i'm not a huge believer in their coaching staff at the moment so i don't know i i, I think it could end up being a problem for sure so would you say because I, I would that Doncic has a higher bust potential than ayton yeah i guess so uh but i like him better than aiden i I mean it's really no one has just like uh, that we've seen has absolutely blown me away as like oh man this guy is just such an awesome number one pick and Doncic to me like could get to that point i mean there's there are things many many things about him that just pop off the screen is like wow this is awesome now certainly there are the athletic limitations but that's really it you know i mean that's that's the only weakness that i see for him at, at this point and you just i think when you throw in the fact that like i've seen enough for him on film and he's got just like a magic skill level not magic johnson it's and the sheer amount of stuff that he's already been able to incorporate into his game like the fact that like you know i was i was like oh this guy's gonna post up like he, he actually has got like all these skilled post moves like he's 18 years old like when the hell did he ever have a chance to develop that you know like it's just you see some of the stuff that and, he does. and not only is he 18 he's been playing competitive basketball against men for a long time now too like this is because he was he was in real madrid system since he was 14 if memory serves yeah. so and uh, so i i wanted to end this on a on a kind of a philosophical thing for me and i'm still grappling a little bit with Doncic versus aiden but if i think about where the league is going for the next five to ten years there are minimum thresholds in both things to be sure and that could end up being a problem for aiden or sorry for him over aiden if i had to make a bet I would say that the league is tilting more towards smart, skilled players than athletic players, especially when you consider the positional difference between these two guys. If you look at who was able to stay on the floor and who was not able to stay on the floor in, let's say, not even just the last two rounds of the playoffs, but let's go with the last three or even even all four. Guys like 
and granted, like, this is old Iguodala, not young Iguodala, but like older Andre Iguodala or Sean Livingston, those types of guys stayed on the floor, but a lot of the centers didn't. And I think that is kind of, it, it goes in that line of, and, and Doncic with all that he's done at this age, the idea that, he, I, I think that neither one of them is a, is a, a lockdown bet. This is nothing to me like Towns or Anthony Davis or LeBron, obviously. Well, or, or I, don't, even, I don't think there's anybody. Embarrassingly enough, Mark L. Fultz last year. You know, I mean, I, I thought right. Fultz was, right. was uh, on that level. If we se- if we separate out if we separate out like him as a prospect, as we thought about him in mid June, I would agree with you. But if I had to kind of choose based on the arc of the league where where I think this is headed, I think Doncic is a better fit for it than Aiden is. I agree with that. I, I do wonder. Just I think. The lack of athleticism, you know, I, I'm not quite sure how tough he's he's going to be. The fact that you can really go at him, that I, the the defense, I do think that those things could ultimately limit him if you really get to the highest levels of competition in the NBA. If we're really talking about being, you know, a number one guy, number two guy on a championship team, but. You know, it's really hard to say that about so many guys in the draft at, at this point in time. And I think I would definitely have him over Aiton. I'm guessing at this point, you know, unless I'm just wowed by Jaron Jackson or Wendell Carter, that he would probably be number one on my board. And it's just like the statistical dominance is just it's too hard to ignore for me and the level of production at this point. One other thing we probably should note is that you do hear some things or have been some reports that he can get really easily frustrated that he's got a little bit of that kind of traditional bulk and hot-headedness to him so I don't know how much to put in that again we always struggle with this you know there's these same reports about Dennis Smith maybe not being you know the greatest from a character standpoint from MC State or whatever like yeah I'm generally doing these scouting reports based on what is put on film so I, i'm not really considering that yay or nay in my evaluation but it's something that perhaps should be sure all right well that was really exciting now let's talk about the grizzlies offseason right after this from our friends at SeatGeek, who can help you get tickets to see any of these draft prospects why should you use SeatGeek instead of someone else well saves you time and saves you money two of the more important commodities in our lives these days they aggregate ticket selling sites together so you don't have to go to eight sites and then oh i'm gonna look at the ninth one now because i'm not quite sure i was totally that way of course uh, back when uh, before the seat geek days when you had to go to a bunch of different sites and then they also rank every ticket based on value so you look at the section you want to sit in find that big green dot the darker green the better you'll you'll start to experience just endorphins when you see that green dot and know that you're getting an awesome deal on the ticket i used seat geek to go to a bucks wizards game got awesome seats there for my uh, fiance and me and not only sporting events but also concerts comedy every type of live event that has a ticket with father's day around the corner tickets to something could be a perfect gift as well so the way to get started with them download the seat geek app and enter that familiar promo code cap space we're about to talk about the memphis grizzlies lack of cap space but you can get some more cap space in your wallet by using that code to get 20 dollars off your first seat geek purchase that's promo code cap space for 20 dollars off your first seat geek purchase let them know that you came from us all right where are these dudes I think where I want to start with Memphis is just how few decisions they have to make. This is a team that doesn't have a ton of free agents. 
they, you know, because they're over the cap and already used their biannual exception last year, they don't have the BAE to use. And they don't have any even rookie scale options to decide because their 2016 pick, Wade Baldwin, they declined his third year option. So he's in Portland now. And their 2017 pick went to Cleveland due to a trade from a while back that involved Maurice Spates and Wayne Ellington, if memory serves. And so they just the the biggest things that they need to do, obviously, they have the number four pick. So that is a massive decision that they need to make. They can have negotiations on their veteran players, depending on what ownership and management wants to do there. But really, it's, I, I guess, seeing if there's a market for any of their players and kind of lining up the pieces for reconciling whether they want to win now or they want to think more into the future and what defining into the future because they're not getting much flexibility next year either. No, they, they definitely aren't. Uh, as of now, including that fourth pick, they already have 13 roster slots taken up, including Andrew Harrison and Wayne Selden I'm assuming that they that Amari Johnson who they signed at the very end of the year probably won't stick around Kobe Simmons is has a two-year two-way contract so he'll be back on a two-way next year presumably unless they decide to elevate him but they're going to hold on to Andrew Harrison they're going to hold on to Wayne Selden presumably I mean those are guys who are in the rotation it might even be good rotation players for them next year they're making the minimum so that's 13 spots already they've also got Marshawn Brooks under contract this year and that is actually guaranteed but brooks was awesome he had like a 26 pr and this is a team that actually could really use his skill set especially if tyreek evans moves on and so with those 13 guys under contract right now they are 10 million dollars short of the tax and it seems very unlikely especially with the amount of money that robert para just had to shell out to buy off steve kaplan and daniel strauss that they will be going into the tax especially for a team that uh you know was not very good last year so they got about 10 million to work with they have the full mid-level exception available that's about 8.5 million but that's probably gonna be a little rough if you use all that unless you can get off of some other money because then you're just you've basically got a million and a half bucks before the tax and that's probably not enough room uh you know maybe you could see them trying to move Jarrell Martin Ben McLemore you know that's pretty toxic but you know they don't really have any assets with which to move these guys unless you're going to talk about potentially second rounders so it's going to be tough for them to get more money so I I do not foresee them using the full mid-level exception it also gets complicated because Tyreek Evans signing a one-year BAE deal that means that the Grizzlies only have non-bird rights on him and this is paralleling what the Celtics are going through with Aaron Baines so if if Evans wants more than about four million it's 3.9 technically they have to use the mid-level exception I think that will be a kind of a poor use of assets unless you think Memphis is closer to contention even just the playoff picture next year than I do especially because it's so dependent on health of guys that are now getting much older so if they do that basically Tyreek is there is their summer that in the draft picks they have four they have four and 32 so if they go in a different direction with that spot, I mean, you could you could kind of go for a, not a high-end, obviously, restricted free agent, maybe somebody like Travion Graham, Doug McDermott, Kyle Anderson, somebody maybe in, in that mold who the idea being that you could get them on a contract, you could even maybe front-load it a little bit so that it's manageable when this team is a little bit younger. And so the, the, maybe those guys move into contracts that aren't as onerous. Outside of that, it's it gets to be a challenge because the player, you know, I think the biggest need that they have is a swingman who can ideally create a little bit, assuming they don't get Doncic, and defend at least competently. 
And you're not going to get a guy like that even for the full mid-level. No, it doesn't seem so. And and Chandler Parsons, obviously, you know, is if they can get something off the bench from him, that'd be nice. They, actually, they were getting something for him when they were playing well early in the season. But then, of course, the knees started to bother him again, and he played little down the end. Uh, oh, that's a good point I'd like to bring yeah. up just to get people's minds around this. So this is just straight remaining money. And this in- assumes that all these guys pick up options. Conley has an ETO. Gasol has a player option. So Conley, three more years, total of 90, $98 million. Marc Gasol, two years, about $50 million. Chandler Parsons, two years, about $49 million. So that's $78 million tied up in those three players for next season. A little bit more than that the following year because of raises. And then Gasol, Parsons drop off, Conley stays on. Also worth noting that Marcus Sol actually has a player option that he could decline for next summer. That's twenty six million. Guessing he probably would opt into that if it's purely a financial consideration, but maybe it won't be. Uh, and that could also maybe lead to them trading him if he says that he's not going to stick around. We'll see. He certainly has expressed expressed plenty of frustration with the team. I want to talk about his trade value momentarily if they do I mean they're not going to trade him this summer so maybe that's that's outside the scope of this so we don't have to talk about that much I think basically you know unless they can clear some money which again it doesn't seem likely that they could do I mean that 32 pick is pretty juicy you know maybe they would move that seeing as they have a relatively full roster and they have this number one pick coming in already i would prefer using that number 32 pick obviously to bring in some more young talent but they have a lot of kind of lower end rotation guys who are on minimum salaries already maybe they'd but so maybe you could say hey if we could get off of ben macklemore we give up that number 32 pick macklemore make uh making 5.5 this million that was uh or, or this year that was uh pretty rough signing basically two years uh 10.5 million although not one that we hated at the time he seemed like a decent second draft guy there and he was set back by the broken foot earlier in the year but let's say they don't move any salary i mentioned they've got that 10 million or so to work with probably can't go the full mid-level exception because they'll just be too close to the tax they just won't have operating so i'm gonna say maybe the most that they could offer tyreek evans would be starting at 6.5 million do you think there's any chance he would take that and, and you know they could push out the number of years or give him player option or whatever but i mean is that just as a starting salary and whatever permutation he might want is that even close to the ballpark for him or is he going to have multiple offers for the full mid-level exception that he's going to go with instead in a more competitive area or a more competitive team i should say I, I think he'll want the full mid-level somewhere else but i'm not sure that'll be available i think they're in the ballpark but the problem for memphis is that they're probably not going to be super competitive. So the he was there for a year. I don't know how this year went for him. I, I haven't heard any definitive reporting I mean, he on that. He played great. <laughs> he did. He did. But like whether he was happy, I mean, the team yeah. was awful for a lot of the year. So I could see him taking similar money somewhere else just because, you know, maybe a, a greater chance of winning. And you can make the argument that, oh, Memphis, if they're healthy, they could be more competitive. But that's such a huge if at this point. And was, you'll recall they didn't trade him. So with the idea being that they could try to resign him. So I imagine they will yeah. make whatever offer they feel like they can make to him. But sure. I think they're going to offer more than six and a half. I think they're going to offer more round. Maybe maybe they go they push the limit harder on him than they would on other guys. So maybe they offer him eight, and then if he, they don't get him, then nobody else gets more than like six. That might be the way that they handle it. And well, what another do you mean, kind nobody, of nobody else gets more than like six. I mean, they so so like let's say no. So like let's say they offer him eight, and if he says no, then they wouldn't use the full middle of middle level exception on anybody I else see. for the full yeah. value. Yeah. 
they they wouldn't have the option of doing both things. But it's just that basically that the rules don't apply the same way to Tyreek Evans that they do to other guys. Partially because they didn't trade him. Partially because he he did a lot of a good last year. Not necessarily good that helped the team, but certainly good nonetheless. And something that I was wondering about with Memphis, it's kind of a gamble if they have a strong feel on which of their young guys they like better about whether any of those guys would get claimed on waivers, because that would be another way for them to add a little bit of flexibility. They could even not do it through waiver claim, just see if a team like the Bulls or something else later on in the process just said, you know, like, hey, we'll probably have a roster spot in August and we're interested in Jarrell Martin or something like that. That seems unlikely. They just... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but but just somebody, just you know, one of those guys. Well, but but if, if Davis, the guy is, whoever it is generally, if a guy is good enough to get claimed, he's not going to get waived. And it's not like I would understand if they had like their BAE available and they felt like they had a roster crunch. But yeah, I mean, like like Ivan Rab would be someone. I think pretty much everyone else to me. Uh, and like remember, they don't. That's their other big need right now is backup big. I mean, maybe maybe what they end up doing is just playing Jamichael Green at backup center some too. You know. But I agree. I mean, I think Martin. Martin or Rab would be the two that I would be like most eager to well, move on from outside of Mackle. My guess is that they end up drafting a center, so that would would resolve that issue. Really? Well, Not I mean, they are projected I, to get Doncic right now, right? Well, it depends on how people see the. Well, so one of the big issues with Memphis, they've they've been linked to Doncic before, is that I think they would like Doncic and they yeah. would. For he him might to not fall. want to go, huh? A, he might not want to go, and B, they don't have the assets to move up. So, like, let's because they have basically no assets. They have, you know, that 32 pick. They owe this future pick to Boston, which is top six. It's top eight protected next year, top six protected in 2020, and then unprotected in 2021. So that means not only do they have to deal with that, but also the Stepien rule building off of that. So, like, I don't think they can jump up to two or three if they really want on such either way. So my guess is that even if they don't want him that like let's say Atlanta unless Atlanta is smitten with whoever Sacramento doesn't take let's say they don't take Doncic I would expect that they would move down with like Dallas or somebody else and just get somebody else well they damn well better hope that Doncic is there because if not then they would have to draft a center most likely uh and maybe Bagley would be there and you could say we'll play him at the four next to Marcus Ole but uh, this again i mean is where uh, we've been criticizing them for a while of like all right they should have tried to trade gasol last year they should have just really embraced the rebuild instead of just like oh no we can get back to 35 wins this year if we keep everyone around and now with gasol what is he 34 this year like he now are you going to part of the hope is like oh yeah we can draft this player who you know rookies rarely help but maybe if it's a shot creator he might be able to help memphis but are we going to not draft a center now because we already have Marcus Ole? Are you going to draft the center and then Marcus Ole is like, well, where the hell is the help at? Like, now I want to leave? It's just this idea that they're still trying to win now could really complicate things for them in the draft. And if Doncic is gone, you know, you're looking at Jaron Jackson or Bagley. One of the one of those two guys presumably will be there if Doncic is gone. You know, Bagley, I think they could get away with drafting more You know, with the idea that, oh, he can play next to Gasol. Uh, don't particularly care for that defensive front court early on, but you know, uh, you know, Bamba again is another guy in that range is being talked about potentially another guy who's a, a center. And then really, you know, Wendell Carter is, is projected number six right now by ESPN. So then you got to kind of, you would have to in theory reach for a Trey young or a Michael Porter or try and trade down potentially if Doncic is gone. Maybe you could see them doing that as well and then try to get, and then Trey Young, same problem. You know, you got Mike Conley already. Uh, I mean, maybe what the best option for them would be 
would be trying to trade down to get porter but you know that assumes that a team would want to trade up and get a big man for them at four you know the bulls or something would want to do that it's uh the fact that they still have gasol and all these centers are around it really does make things a little difficult for them unless they're just gonna i mean i wouldn't care that i had gasol i'd just draft whoever i thought the best player was but it doesn't seem like they are necessarily going to be thinking i am deeply concerned that memphis is going to interpret this as a lost season that was not reflective of where they're going and so they will bring back Tyreek, use most of their available resources for that. And, you know, the draft will, will be back what it is. Tyreke. I, think, I that's, think that's fine. Well, I just think that if they, it, it's not as catastrophic as what happened in Charlotte with, with Kemba and yeah. just. He, he'll know. be tradable on that contract too. But if they could get whatever contract they sign him to, I mean, unless he just gets injured. Again. Unless he gets yeah. hurt. Yeah. And so if they go in that direction and so really what then it is is a lost year in terms of building assets for the next team and that's not sexy because it's if they like once they kind of sell off it's going to take a long time with their current asset base like this number four pick is going to have to be awesome for them to work out and the other reason why i'm concerned about that is because then you get into the circumstance where they're still not good enough to make the playoffs for me unless the west has a lot of injuries or they really exceed expectations i mean they dylan brooks i liked what he did we talked about him pretty recently because we did their young guys recently i don't think you know he's a starter on a playoff team or anything close to that so then you're sitting there in january february going well crap we've already won a bunch of games you know more games than the awful teams and probably can't tank into the bottom and their pick is top eight protected so maybe it's like maybe you get another pick that's in the like six to eight range maybe you lose that pick and it's i i just feel like i'm gonna end up dissatisfied with what they do i hope that i'm wrong because i want every team to be well managed and everything like that i just have a a sinking feeling with them not as not as immediate and visceral as i did with the knicks in 2016 but kind of like that I root for teams to be badly managed, so we have stuff to talk about. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I agree with you. We always have stuff to talk about. It can be very frustrating. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, and that Boston pick top eight protected this year, then goes down to top six, and then unprotected in 2021. So maybe they would feel like, hey, you know, we got to at least just get rid of this obligation. Um, And at least one good thing, too, is if potentially they jump into the top four, they wouldn't lose that necessarily either this year or next year and they still with the flattened lottery odds you know if they do end up with the 10th best record or something you know you're not as in as bad a shape as far as trying to get into the top four as you would have been previously what else do we have to talk about with these guys we can wrap this up pretty soon as a technical matter Jarrell martin is extension eligible remember that he was nearly off this team in september of last year you know there's speculation that he wasn't going to make it out of training camp they ended up cutting zagorich and somebody else who i can't remember deontay davis is technically extension eligible as well because it's you know second anniversary of a three-year contract and i don't expect either one of those guys to get extended at all and i just to clarify it a little bit they wouldn't really have much space in 2019 unless they move conley or gasol or gasol opts out they're more of like a 2020 or 2021 team and i could see depending on how that shakes out and depending on how well the the number four pick works out them at that point being not really good enough to spend kind of like where Atlanta is this year and so using that money to extract a little bit more assets wait a year or two but that's looking far out so I'm very intrigued to see how they approach where they are right now we could talk briefly too if if Evans does not return they definitely need like one more shot creator on this team especially of course with Parsons such a question mark I do think that Evans will probably have better offers because as we've talked about before if you're looking for that kind of shot creator guy either second unit or or first unit you know there really aren't too many of those guys right there's Dwayne Wade who's said today that he if he does return he hasn't decided on retirement yet but he would like to come back to Miami 
you've got Jamal Crawford, you've got Evans, maybe Rudy Gay if he becomes available, a little bit different type of player, but still a guy who can create some shots for you. And that's really about it, right? As far as guys who are, and Isaiah Thomas would be the other one um as a shot creator for the second year Derek Rose maybe comes comes into that category a little bit so there's not too many of those guys and Evans I would probably put him highest on that list out of anybody and that's why and there are a lot of teams that desperately need someone who can create some shots and Evans had a wonderful year last year remains to be seen whether his jump shot is real you know to be shooting close to 40 percent on three but outside of those guys I mean I don't think oh Will Barton also is in that category say it but he's he's gonna be out of Memphis price range you know, Wayne Ellington might be someone that they could look at potentially. Joe Harris, but I think they, they really need, this is such a bad offensive team. They really need someone who can either shoot or create shots, one of the two. Even Mike Beasley could be like an interesting option for these guys, actually. Yeah, could be. <laughs> Ugh. I mean, anyone else who sticks out to you as a possible i mean if we're talking about six million dollars starting salary you know or less than that maybe you could get a couple of guys beasley wouldn't come in that much i would imagine i mean i could see them being a team if they don't draft a center that could just go after one of the intriguing you know young guys just a flyer on whoever whoever that could be i mean i think nerlens will probably be above that not not above that price range but above what they would want to pay for a backup center but yeah in terms of shot creation it's just such a it's such a paltry list and bielitsa i'm sure they would love to have if he ends up if he doesn't get a qualifying offer but i I don't know if they have enough money for him. i think he would go for a different situation yeah i mean that would be my instinct unless he thinks that oh they could be you know they could be good yeah and he he could start for that for memphis so that would be a sales pitch yeah jamichael green didn't have the greatest year last year he's their incumbent starting four at the moment uh oh i was toying with the idea i i think he'll get more than this but of of jeremy grant there just because they don't exactly know where the front court is going and so you know jeremy grant's a a capable player yeah i think they got enough kind of athletic guys who can't really shoot at all that wouldn't be my biggest need i mean if you can get them on the right deal sure i think that's fine Uh, do you michael green could be a trade candidate potentially they don't really have any other fours yeah i i I would say he's uh a negative value on his contract at least a little I, he had a rough year and there are reasons to believe like i had no opposition to his contract when it was signed i actually thought it was a positive value so he could turn it around a little bit but i mean power forwards who aren't necessarily starters are just so yeah. but but he could be a switch guy you know he's got a little bit of stretch ability he, he's like the type of player who maybe you know could get some minutes for a playoff team that they might want to trade for he's just lost so much athleticism too which is kind of too bad but yeah and that could also be a way for memphis to clear if they needed to for whatever reason you've talked about why you don't think that's necessary if they needed to clear a little bit more money maybe trade him for somebody who makes a little bit less money but is less valuable you know i'm sure teams would be happy to do that are right, you going to do a little news here yeah, I mean, I think the place that we have to start is Dwayne Casey. Casey getting a five-year deal with the Detroit Pistons. It was a natural fit if Casey wanted to coach this year because the only other option was the team that fired him. So that seems unlikely. And there was some reporting palace intrigue about whether Casey was no, you, going you to mean, have uh, the authority. Little Caesars Arena intrigue. The, the, Caesar, they little changed. Caesars Palace intrigue. <laughs> <laughs> they have uh they, they are no longer at the palace of Auburn hills but uh yeah maybe that maybe last summer when they were making the change over it could have been a little though uh so so because the, of this idea Aldridge, david aldridge talked about it of whether casey was going to choose this assistance that might just be kind of well it, semantics. and then the pistons got back to him and said no actually we we uh we didn't do that so so there's already a leak presumably coming from casey's side i guess saying that they weren't gonna let him choose his, his assistance but why 
why why if you're casey do you like leak if it was him maybe it wasn't him but like do you uh, as you have decided to sign the deal do you then leak that the reason you did it was because like something to make them look bad like it just uh, i mean maybe you just felt like you he wanted to get the upper hand initially but i that that doesn't make any sense to me like why that would get leaked maybe maybe it was like some assistant that like casey was wanting to bring on that uh you know he had contacted it that let it get out or something but that is uh that's not good so like that's a shit show um and there are plenty of other shit show aspects to this as well oh you mean like hiring a coach before you hire a general manager yeah and this like ed stefanski thing like that he is like some great record like we're gonna bring him in and then he's gonna bring in bickerstaff and jim lineham now and then you know casey getting a five-year deal and they must have really agreed to pay up because remember he's getting six six million in theory uh from toronto this year now that'll be offset usually these, those contracts have offsets in them so five-year deal that's like premium we've seen pretty much every other coach this year get a four-year deal usually those are fourth-year team options so this might be five-year deal with a fifth-year team option but still you know he he's getting paid like that kind of premium coach and then the other thing that was reported by aldridge was that the idea that they're going to kind of stick with him through the roster shakeup that has to be coming here um so i mean i guess if you're going to uh, and hilarious for casey too now right like his whole situation with the jury like he was it seemed like he was hanging on to his job by the skin of his teeth because he predated ujiri and he was always coaching just well enough to not get fired even though ujiri kind of you would think wanted to bring in his own guy and now like the same thing's gonna happen again a, a gm that he was not chosen by is gonna come in so it's just like this this whole process just seems to be like total madness and you know if we thought the stan van gundy era was bad like this is not a good start at all maybe it'll get better maybe they'll make some good moves you know they haven't and everyone there remember was on board with the griffin trade which we hated too that wasn't just van gundy at the time so like i i had higher hopes for like arn Tellum if he was going to be one of the main guys involved here he was such a good agent but really he's just been kind of doing all just the like all old school nba tried and true there just is not i've not been impressed with any aspect of this process uh even just like keeping stan around for a little while and then like it, it, there's just it doesn't it really doesn't the other piece of coaching news you brought up bernie bickerstaff because he is a part of the a part of that search committee in detroit his son jb is the head coach in memphis and hired jerry stackhouse as uh, an assistant on his team which is interesting because many had supported many like kind of fan type people had supported stackhouse as a candidate for the toronto job because he has been the head coach of the 905 yeah and he also uh, apparently got a look in orlando that of course means that he will not be the coach in toronto and turning to toronto briefly mark stein reporting that either raptors assistant nick nurse remember coached in rio grande valley with the rockets organization when they were jacking up all those threes and then was widely credited with some of their offensive reforms or spurs assistant atori messina who of course has that extensive european background as well are the top two contenders supposedly but that does include others in toronto uh biggest other news uh, we had this a couple days ago we forgot to get to it sham sharania on chris mannix's podcast for yahoo said his belief that Kawhi Leonard will be ready to start next season he says he's close to 100% and he'll be fine going into the year now remember this is in some places has been considered a degenerative condition it's something that's kind of a wear and tear type of thing and 
so it's the type of thing that maybe could regress and it's going to have to be managed and stuff so even if he's feeling good going into next year you know that's no guarantee that this whole thing will be in the past necessarily and then shams also saying the spurs have not fielded any trade offers they still need to have this sit down the spurs offering that designated player veteran extension contingent kind of on the results of that but he did say that Kawhi was around the team he went to the funeral of Greg Popovich's wife and I'm sure Greg still is working through a lot of the family issues so but presumably this sit down is going to have to happen before we get to July and uh, who knows whether they'll be reporting on that or not but if they offer him the extension I think we'll know what ended up happening there and then if they don't offer him the extension then I think you know maybe it starts to become open season or if for some reason he were to reject it uh anything else we gotta talk about or are we uh we all done here i think we're pretty much done i will have some i think there'll be an off-season preview that comes out tomorrow i don't know exactly who it's going to be yet but that will come out and yeah now that the pistons are done i can actually finish that one so that and then if you haven't read the piece i wrote on kevin durant's options for free agency that is out at the athletic and that's really about it all right thanks for listening if you didn't listen to our Aiton scouting report and Phoenix Suns. Jared Dudley actually tweeted out that it was a good listen, so that's a good reason to go back and listen to that show. Uh, and we'll be back tomorrow with as yet to be determined content. Till then, at Bet Three Six Five, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play—from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game, or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.